1: Welcome to episode 129 to Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, and we've got a full episode locked and loaded for you today about our continuing series on leadership. We've got a really great blunder. We've got a really great ninja coming your way, as well as Kurt's not going to get away without the Urkel button today. He's going to have to push that, oh, yeah. an article he's very excited about. In fact, Kurt, I think I heard you laughing a little bit like Urkel when you were telling me about this article. You just couldn't hold back on the geekiness.
0: Uh no, I think you're wrong on that one. It was <laughs> your imagination. <laughs> it was my imagination. It's what you wanted to hear. It was one of those expectations, those.
1: It, was- it was that or you were totally snorting like Steve Urkel when you told me about the article. It was one all of those. Right.
0: All right, I'll admit, you know, I do snore a little bit so I could have fallen asleep during our conversation.
1: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Playing hardball on the Urkel today. That's right. it's not going easy? We well, you're I,
0: just back from uh, scenic Mexico. You do tell. More blunders, ninjas, sickness, food, fattiness, beach, whiteness, tanness. What are we talking about here?
1: <laughs> wow, that's a lot to take in. Um, Yeah, yeah. I was just in Cabo San Lucas for a few days. It was fantastic. Stayed at the Playa Grande Resort. I totally recommend it. If you've got a trip coming up to Cabo, it's a great resort. Nice pool, nice grounds, and good food. And it's right there central to everything. You can walk to almost everything. So yeah, I had, a, had some awesome food there in Cabo and got some good relaxation time in. So we were going to go jet skiing, but the wind kind of kicked up on the last day. But so we didn't get to do that. It was mo- mostly just a lazy, lazy trip. And I think I put on about five. I'm pretty oh, sure. There I put
0: we on go. Five. It, yeah. it's a good trophy for that one. Yeah. Good thing you go jet skiing. I did that in uh, Cancun once and it broke out in the middle and nobody cared. Nobody came for us. We're sitting there <laughs> baking in the sun <laughs> Like, hello, and they didn't care, so we rigged it together, got it to start again, but uh, yeah, <laughs> horror stories there, hours in the sun floating around, nobody caring. I don't think they have the same regulations we do here in the united states i just don't think I'm just so. thinking, just thinking off the top of my head,
1: yeah, yeah, that's that's you kind of being rude <laughs> offending our our friends down south, but
0: we gotta take care of our offense list there,
1: yeah, we could talk about this maybe more on another show, but I'm always fascinated by sales tactics in a commoditized environment Mm. and if the street in mexico with all the same trinkets and all the same shirts and everything is not commoditized i don't know what is right a new one i noticed that maybe maybe i'm late to the party here is they like to say hey do i know you they (laughs) try to rope you in that way (laughs) anything they can do to start a conversation hey do i know you so there's this stretch of the marina that my wife and i would walk past every night and there's about 10 timeshare excursion salesman guys there. So a lot, a lot of different blunders happening. And, uh, yeah, at the very end, the guy tried to sell us cocaine. So it was quite the, quite the blunderous walk.
0: It's like the trips to Jamaica for the ganja. Like, no, no. <laughs> Big old stocks on the beach. Like, no, no not right now. Not yeah. There.
1: My wife and I were saying, what does that say about us? This guy thought we were a mark. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah, they look like cocaine
1: people. Yeah, we're cokeheads. <laughs> So that was the trip to Mexico, about what you would expect. Really fun, great weather, a good break. And so now it's back to the grind. Life doesn't wait for you. Back in it. And here we are doing uh, episode 129, finishing up on leadership.
0: Good stuff. Well, welcome back. Get your brain in the game. You didn't get sick. That's a good thing. And
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, got back late last night. That remains to be seen. Who knows? Oh, you well, that's
0: true. Well. Who knows what you're carrying on you? But that's <laughs> the hard part of getting your brain out of vacation back into reality where no one's gonna have patience for you because you're on vacation
1: exactly exactly and nobody cares when you say it's hard coming back from vacation <laughs> nobody cares there's zero sympathy so i'm not even going to play the card just going to tell the listeners that i might not be totally on my game today many of them would reply of have you ever been totally on your game <laughs>
0: So you're you're shooting at 60% today. I'll try to up my game to, what, 74% today. We'll see if we can pull that off to bring you up.
1: Yeah, well, why don't we start with you uh, hitting the Urkel button? All right, there you go. Urkel! Kurt, at 74% has a great article coming off of Intuition. Intuition. So we want to hear because it ties into what we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, part of Charisma, it's also known as those aha moments, and the article talks about the aha moments are usually on the money. This is a study done by Rick Newart, PhD, from Drexel University, and for 10 points, where is Drexel University?
1: Drexel University, Illinois?
0: No, that would be in Philadelphia. Uh,
1: I lost, no points for me.
0: Yeah, no points for you, I had negative points for you, but they did this research It was really interesting, and they found that... These sudden instincts, we call them an urge, an insight, an impulse, an inner voice, whatever you want to call it, are often more accurate at solving problems and thinking them through analytically. I thought that was pretty fascinating that conscious analytical thinking can sometimes be rushed or sloppy and lead to mistakes while solving a problem. But he says insight's unconscious and automatic. But he also warned that it can't be rushed. It's a process and it'll complete when it's ready. It's part of your unconscious mind. We talk about that all the time here on the show. But when we have those aha moments, we need to listen to those. And so they did the research with different types of puzzles, and they looked at those who responded based on analytical thought, being conscious and deliberate, and those who just used those aha moments or those instincts. And they found it was amazing when the people were looking at different puzzles and different things that they were doing, looking at the numbers. And there was a combination of linguistic puzzles and visual puzzles, but basically – in the visual puzzles, 78% of the responses were correct for the aha and only 42% for the analytical. And there were similar numbers for the linguistic puzzles. And so that's interesting as far as listening to that inner voice. And this basically means that in whether it be personal, professional, or during a sale or during a presentation, that when you have that insight, that aha, that instinct, take it seriously. It's not always going to be correct 100% of the time. No one's ever going to say that. But you have a higher probability, based on this study, of being right than methodically working it out, thinking it through. And, you know, I'm going to echo this. This is true. When I was doing research for Laws of Charisma and interviewing CEOs and leaders and charismatic people, it didn't come up unless I brought it up. But they all said that instinct, that urge, that impulse is critical to them. Because you could have 10,000 pages as a CEO to, to do the research. But ultimately, they have to follow that instinct, that impulse, that urge, that aha, and it made a huge difference. And now there's research to verify that.
1: Well, I wonder why that is. That's pretty interesting. It just must be that the, the unharnessed power of the subconscious mind is actually working more than we think. And it can evaluate things that you can't consciously. That's all I can think of here.
0: I think we pick up more than we realize through our subconscious mind, and and it's recording. Everything we see and hear is being recorded, and a lot of times we have a challenge accessing it through our conscious mind, and even another study done with college students, I think we've talked about this before, watching three 10-second video clips of a professor during their class, beginning, the middle, and the end, and they evaluated the professor, and what they evaluated was the warmth, the energy, and the confidence based on these 10-second clips, and the study found that those students' evaluation of the professor were the same, as the students that attended the whole class and so we pick up things and it's about trusting that voice that instinct that urge and realizing it's not 100 percent. but this study shows that's better than spending 20 hours on analyzing all the data it might just be worth taking a couple minutes and following that instinct if that's right most of the time hey that's good time management
1: yeah that is that is i i've been making a few decisions lately and one of them i've been struggling with and did the whole ben franklin thing right what are the pluses and minuses (laughs) if i decide this and yeah, just not feeling it either way. Probably got to listen to the intuition there.
0: It's not like you're just pulling something out of the air, but your subconscious mind still has access to a lot of that information, and, and it seems like more because it has access to the whole brain versus your conscious mind seems to have troubles accessing the whole brains at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, someday we'll figure that out. You see that uh, movie Limitless where the guy takes the pills and he can access his mm-hmm. whole brain instead, yeah. Obviously, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. That's the whole plot of the movie, but it was kind of cool. Kind of cool to see if you could really consciously tap into the subconscious. Pretty interesting stuff.
0: It is, and it's something to take to heart because charismatic people have it. It's just out there. Leaders have it, and I think they start using it because they don't have the time to process everything, so they find these shortcuts. If we could consciously use our instinct, can I say that, or be more aware of our instincts, probably a better way to put it, it'll be very, very beneficial to
1: you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, let's get on with the rest of the, our, our leadership series. Last one today, we've been doing a four-part series on leadership. The first part, we talked about presence, how effective leaders can maintain a good presence around the people that they lead and inspire confidence that way. We've talked about some of the core inner qualities and in the mental attributes that leaders have. That was on episode two back on number uh, 127, I believe it was. And then last week, we talked about delivery and communication, how leaders actually say things and a little bit about into, into body language. And then today, we're going to talk about how leaders know how to effectively empower others. If you have a good leader or somebody that you really look up to in your life, chances are that when you're around them, they always make you feel like you can be better in, in a good way, not, hey, you stink, right? You should be better. <laughs> it's you're You're inspired. You want to be better. You feel like you have the potential to do so. So we're going to talk about how you can do that with the people that you're leading in your life today. Kurt, what are some of the ways that top-notch leaders inspire others or empower others?
0: Now, when we talk about empowerment, it's important to understand some people that you've met just empower. You feel better. You feel like you can do it. You can see yourself doing it versus the others just suck the life out of you, right? That's the opposite of who we're talking about. And as Warren Bennis says, Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. So the first one is vision: be able to see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. I think we've all worked for people before, and the CEO got out big rah-rah session. We're going to do this, and there's our vision. And at the water cooler, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, flavor of the day. It's not going to change because he wasn't able to empower. You. He wasn't able to instill that vision. Because in persuasion, influence, charisma, leadership, it does not matter if your prospect if. The person you're trying to lead does not see themselves doing it. If they can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, if they don't believe they can do it, if they visually can't see themselves doing it, it is not going to happen. Bottom line, very important to understand. In fact, the studies show that more than one third, it was about 36% surveyed, value people that are visionary as leader. Not delusional, right? We're not talking about delusional, we're talking about seeing a vision. Being able to take the future and bring it down to reality. This is what we need to do to get there. And it's important that people have that. People need that vision. And it bonds people. Because humans basically yearn for direction and guidance. They want to be able to see that. And bottom line is that vision is so important. You can explain it. But if people don't visually see themselves doing it, it is not going to
1: happen. Maybe I'm getting ahead ahead of the topic here. But... I do feel like when it comes to employees or middle management when when the guys at the top are dictating, here's the vision a lot of times people roll their eyes and say, Okay, our CEO read another Stephen R. Covey book
0: and we've <laughs> got to put up
1: with this until he forgets about it. Right? Much the same as, as kids and parenting. Okay, mom read a new book or is trying this new thing and we can get through this. <laughs> and she'll she'll forget about it soon,
0: right? Yeah, we'll put up with it for a couple of weeks. It'll stop.
1: Yeah, she'll 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 figure out that it's not worth it. That you know, we run the roost around here. And I've seen this and actually participated in this before where CEOs or owners of companies are dictating a vision from the top down and basically saying, This is our vision, like it, be a part of it. And what they've failed to do is is implicate the the them, what's in it for me and set something up for the individual employee of here's how you fit in this vision and here's how it ties to your vision for yourself and how you want to be better, whether it's financially or professionally or whatever. I think that's a huge mistake that a lot of leaders make. They read a book. Oh, our company has to have a vision. Uh, Here it goes. And nobody ever really gets on board with it because they don't see the vision for themselves and where they fit in. Thoughts? Oh, absolutely.
0: There's no buy-in. It's like the mission statement when that was really popular. Oh well, here's our mission statement. And they found that even with a mission statement, something basic like that, that if people just put in their own mission statement, what do you think it should be? And, well, let's fine tune it. Let's adjust it. Let's put it together. Even if they didn't use it as is or exactly, but people were able to input their mission statement that people had more buy-in. And that's a critical thing. People will not have buy-in or see that vision a unless you paint the picture i mean that's important you got to visually paint the picture it's helpful if you have a common goal or a common enemy that everyone agrees to and of course you need to make sure that that there's an action plan that seems realistic that they're going to do it because otherwise it's not going to happen if there's no buying and they don't care if they you haven't got their opinion their advice a lot of times it will backfire on you and that's the biggest challenge with vision
1: okay okay so there there has to be buy-in down the line. There has to be a vision in the first place. How else do we empower others beyond just creating this vision? Well,
0: once you have the vision in place and people can see themselves doing it and, again, see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, make it become alive, you have to understand, too, to empower others. You have to understand, and this is one of the laws of persuasion, you have to understand self-esteem, you have to understand the ego bottom line is that you bruise someone's ego, you back someone to a corner, it shuts the doors to influence and leadership. But when you can enhance someone's ego, make them feel better about themselves, it opens the doors to influence and leadership. Harry Truman, I said best, he says, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's true of a great leader. You know, all the managers want the credit, why the credit looked good, and all the People underneath were going, oh, wait a minute. That was my idea. I did all the work on that. Wait a minute. And it could be very damaging because that's the challenge that managers think they're leaders and they're not. Yeah. Managers you do it because you have to. Leaders do it because you want to. And when you look at that self-image and understanding different things that make a huge difference. And the ability to praise people is huge when you talk about leadership and empowering others and feeling needed, feeling wanted, being part of the team, being part of the group being included, all those things, people do not realize that it has a huge impact.
1: That's a great quote by Harry Truman, and it really kind of pulls it back and makes you see how much ego gets in the way of persuasion and leadership. Uh, So many times leaders don't want the people above them to perceive that their subordinates are rising above them or that they're better than them. And so many times people who are being led or, you know, you call them the company grunts or the people that are on the front line. They don't do things because they feel like it doesn't matter. If I do a really good job, I get no credit. I get no more money. But really, there have been a lot of studies that show it's not necessarily the money. It's how valued they feel, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. Study after study shows that managers think it's the money, it's the money. But no, that shows about number seven. Everything else is ego and esteem related as far as fully included or being criticized at The different things that can either enhance a self-esteem or hurt a self-esteem. And and bottom line, let's define self-esteem as how much you like yourself. Yeah. And if you can enhance that and believe in people and help them feel included, it will go a long, long way.
1: What else can we do to empower others as a leader?
0: Well, simple thing on the esteem side is just understand the power of praise. Understand that it's a basic human need. That the way you criticize can really help or hurt what you're doing, but if that's the bottom line, is you have to understand that everyone, including yourself, suffers from low self-esteem in some aspect of their life. And if you can boost that, make that feel better, goes a long way. That's the first thing we teach in negotiation boot camp, is check your ego at the door, okay? Do you want the deal or do you want to be right? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> you can prove yourself right. You can argue and win. You can back them in a corner. You can show them how stupid they are. Well, good for you. You did it, but you lost all that money. You lost the deal.
1: Right, right. Do you want the deal or do you want to be right? <laughs> exactly.
0: It Probably be some that. of the
1: best marriage advice ever given.
0: That's true. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Isn't that what they say with
1: marriage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, after a
0: while, it's, it doesn't matter. And that's a big challenge. A lot of people just forget about that. They're in the game, they're doing it. They don't understand how important that is as a leader to be able to really boost someone's self esteem and not bruise
1: their ego. Yeah, that's good stuff. Anything else you want to add on empowering others before we move on to our ninja and our blunder?
0: Next one I'm going to add is along the same lines you have the vision you're building them up with their self-esteem, is you have to be able to light their fire and motivate them. And, that is, and that's important to understand as leaders is that people are motivated by different things at different times. And your ability to motivate them, to get them to want to do what you want them to do is very important. In fact, a study shows that 59% of employees said their companies do not do enough to motivate them because the company thinks, well, they should be self-motivated. And here's an amazing one. Eighty-five percent of workers in the workplace said they could work harder at their job. <laughs>
1: They're
0: just not motivated. They just don't care. And getting managers, leaders like, well, we pay them. Well, yeah, you do. That will get a little work. But if you can really inspire and motivate and understand there's different ways to motivate different people and to work with them, it can go a long way. And again we say, well they should motivate themselves. Well, that's probably true, but we've all had bad days. We've all had days we didn't feel like doing the things we know we needed to do. It's human nature. And when you can motivate and get people on track and get them to do things, that goes a long way as far as empowering others because they feel motivated. They want to do what you want them to do.
1: Right, right. Well, those are good good ideas. I think that the on the praise angle, if you've got people that that you need to lead, whether Whether it's kids, whether it's employees or people in a nonprofit, it's a good idea to just make it a point to make sure that you praise every single one of them sincerely at least once a week. Give them a sincere compliment. Look for something that you can really say with a straight face that you mean it. Because when it's not sincere, when they know, oh, he read another book again. Right. He's he's complimenting <laughs> me.
0: Right. Check. Check him off the list. Yeah.
1: Check so-and-so <laughs> off the list. You know, their hair looks good. They were praised. Right. Sincerely praise your people at least once a week. And that goes a long way. People will go to bat for you. They'll fight for you as their leader and you'll get a lot better results.
0: And that's so important to understand. I agree 100%. In fact, let's give the listeners a little formula to think about when they praise people. And you hit the first one is be sincere about it. Does it work when you're not? Sometimes. It's called ingradiation. But here's one of the most important things is you need to be specific. Because when you praise somebody, especially those with low self-esteem, they're going to discount it. Oh, you look great in that dress. Well, oh, this old thing, I, I found it in the trash can, right? Yep. So they're going to discount it. So you've got to be specific and say, you know, the way you handled that or the way you closed the deal, the way you did that negotiation, the way you turned them around, be specific so they can't discount it. And remember, it's obvious, but I have to put it out there, only praise positive things. Right? You don't go to a family reunion and see Uncle Frank and say, good for you, still alive. I thought you'd be dead by now with all the bacon that you eat.
1: <laughs> Probably <laughs> yeah.
0: wouldn't be yeah. a, a good praise. So specific, sincere, and positive. Use that formula. People will do almost anything for you.
1: I saw a leader, a business leader once say, this was to, I think, some kind of a mid-level administrative assistant. He said, hey, when that call came in earlier today, you did a really great job about handling my schedule and making sure that their expectations were set. And she did exactly what you said. She tried to discount it, even though he was very specific. Well, oh, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't know. And, and he said, hey, guess what? Nothing you can say is going to change my mind. You did a great job. You're not going to convince me otherwise. You just got to learn to live with the fact that you just did an awesome job. And he walked off. That's and I saw, awesome. I saw her uh, kind of smile to herself. She didn't know that I was watching. Yeah, but it was a pretty interesting. Very good, solid, sincere compliment.
0: Well, that's an important safety tip is when you discount the person praising you, you're discounting them. So the best thing to do is say thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. That's right. Just say thanks. All right. Good stuff, Kurt. Need you to queue up the blunder. All right, blunder, our friend Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. So, we love it. Politics, trips to Mexico, these are the things that make a lot of great blunders available to us. And we've been talking about leadership, uh, these kinds of things. And we've got a two phase blunder at Ninja going today. Uh, recent presidential debates, this was back on February 29th, Leap Day, February 29th. In a rally by Marco Rubio, one of the Republican candidates for president. And uh, many people are not happy with where the the discourse has gone, <laughs> the political discourse. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I
1: don't know that anybody's ever been happy with that in the history of the world. <laughs> but uh, many people are thinking, yeah, this is definitely a notch down the ladder. It, it's getting worse. Uh, we've got the audio queued up where Marco Rubio makes, uh you know, kind of hints at the size of Donald Trump's manhood. And oh, uh, we just get to see a little <laughs> montage of where this went. Here we go.
0: He's always calling me Little Marco. And I'll admit the guy he's taller than me. He's like six-two, which is why I don't understand why his hands are the size of someone who's 5'2". Have you seen his hands? They're like this. And you know what they say about men with small hands? Oh, boy. Well, there you go.
1: He said I had small hands. Actually, I'm 6'3", not 6'2", but he said I had small hands. They're not small, are they? I never, heard, I never heard that one before. I've always had people say, Donald, you have the most beautiful hands. What? He hit my hands. Nobody has ever hit my hands. I've never heard of this one. Look at those hands. Are they small hands? <laughs> He referred to my hands if they're small. Something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem, I guarantee. You. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are we getting to to where I guess it goes back to the self esteem? You bruise someone's self esteem, they're gonna fight back, they're gonna bring up things that do not belong in politics. I mean,
1: really? Yeah.
0: Size, height, manhood.
1: Who does that? I can think of a lot better ways to handle you know, I don't know whose idea it was in the Rubio camp to go after the hands, or if he just thought of that on stage, but uh, I can think of a lot better ways to deflect that and kind of really elevate yourself above your opponent. And, uh, Trump, uh, in many cases, does, he, he likes to get down in the gutter, which he certainly did here. So they're both kind of down there now, and uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad.
0: <laughs> and that's what happens. attack, a punch, attack, another punch, attack back, another punch. You keep going. It's just a downward spiral versus someone neutralizing and handling it in such a way as to where it stops that downward spiral.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we want to contrast that. Why don't we cue the ninja?
0: Oh, ninja goat.
1: This is uh, from back in the day, what was this, uh, 1980-something, Ronald Reagan yeah, versus back. Walter Mondale, yeah, in a presidential debate. And Reagan, a charismatic leader, many people would uh, would agree with that. So even the people that don't like his politics can can usually admit that, ah, he he knew what he was doing as far as speaking goes. He's pretty good at that side of things. So let's hear how he handled an attack from—this was actually— uh, the moderator of the debate. You already are the oldest president in history, and some of your staff say you were tired after your most recent encounter with Mr. Mr. Mondale. Um, I recall, yet, that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba missile crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all.
0: Mr. Truitt, and I I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit, for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done, right? (laughs) And that's why they called him the Teflon president. Things just didn't stick. You could attack, but with a smile, with humor, whether it was getting to him or not, I mean, that was a low blow. He was, he was, I think, in his 80s or getting close to that, and uh, that was a low blow, and he handled it with humor. It never came up again. He, everyone laughed. It diffused the situation. He was more likable versus, I mean, he could have attacked back. Well, yeah, well, but he has small hands and a small brain, and he's not very old, and he yeah. didn't graduate from college, the best college here, and he didn't do this, and His mother did this, and (laughs) okay, (laughs) all right. Yeah. You can, because that's the natural instinct. Right. When you truly understand heckling, you truly understand self esteem, ego, and those different things, you'll get a whole different response. It's going to be refreshing to see someone who could actually do that in politics right now. I can't really name names of the person who doesn't really get down in the mire and start slinging mud, and then it just gets messy for everyone.
1: Yep, yep, there you go. So we thought it would be good to contrast those two moments in in the debates and kind of show you what's happening. And maybe one of the candidates in, in this year's election is going to rise to that occasion, and instead of slinging mud back, he just kind of deflects it and makes everybody laugh, and they almost even forget what the question was, <laughs> what the That's issue was true. when when they pull a Reagan like that. So pretty good stuff. So that's what we have today for the show for episode 129 of Maximize Your Influence. Everybody remember to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Influence Max, or you can like us on Facebook. Just punch in Maximize Your Influence into the search bar on Facebook. That's where we put lots of uh, different links to articles and funny stories and uh, funny blunders and things like that. And you can always go directly to the website, MaximizeYourInfluence.com, to listen to the episodes, check the blog entries, and as always, subscribe to us on iTunes whenever we release a new show. It'll automatically download to your Apple device. So there you go, Kurt. That's episode one twenty nine in the books. Everyone thanks for the listening. Books. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you being here. Take care and have a great week.